MP, Christmas is almost here. Brado, doesn't that mean the world's about to end? Oh, don't be silly, Marcus. But what is about to end is the two-for-one tickets to the Wellness Base Camp. Jeepers, Brado. Two-for-one tickets to the Wellness Base Camp close this Friday, December 15. Book your tickets now to go in the draw to win some incredible prizes. That's right, Brado. We have three copies of Joe and Fuad's life-changing food to give away and up for a chat, Kim Morrison is giving one lucky Base Camp attendee the signature 28 diffuser with not one, not two, but three synergy blends, including festive spirit. That is valued at almost 200 bucks. All you need to do is book your tickets to the Wellness Base Camp by Friday, December 15 to go in the draw. Give yourself the best Christmas present ever. And win a prize. Two for one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Amy Berger. Amy has a master's degree in human nutrition um, and also is a certified nutritional specialist. Um, she's had a long journey uh, with her health and with her diet and with her food. Um, she says she knows exactly how it, how it feels spending years doing all the right things and not seeing changes you want in your health and your physique. She knows how it feels to blame yourself. She knows how it feels to watch your thinner, seemingly healthier friends eat whatever they want not exercise and get into the clothing you could only dream of fitting into. And I'm sure there's heaps of people out there that can relate to that. So we're going to talk to Amy about what she did, how she changed up her diet and her movement. Um, and also we're going to talk a bit about fat and the importance of fat. And we're going to talk a bit about brain health as well. And such important topics. So welcome to the show, Amy. Hey, thanks for having me. So good to have you on board. Really appreciate you uh, giving us your time. Amy, you've had a, an interesting journey and I think, as I said, a journey that I think so many, uh, particularly girls, but girls and guys out there, it seems to be more common than ever with the guys nowadays as well in terms of struggling with their food and diet and blaming themselves and, and all of those sort of things. So tell us a little bit about your journey um, through food uh, and to, in the end, becoming a health professional. Sure. Um, you you kind of said the basics during the intro. I was one of those people who thought I was doing all the right things. I did a lot of running, a lot of cardio type exercise, ate lots and lots of those healthy whole grains, you know, lots of um, whole wheat bread, never butter, always kind of light margarine, always skim milk, never cream, that type of thing. And I could never lose weight. I was always a little bit heavy and um, I was fortunate in that I didn't have any real health problems, um, but I was always carrying a lot more weight than I thought I should based on my diet and activity and, and a lot more weight than friends of mine who you know, would never know what to do inside a gym or, or with a barbell and, and ate junk and, and looked better than I did. And I just, I spent so many years blaming myself and, and feeling like it was my fault. And I just needed to be more disciplined instead of questioning, you know, what's wrong here? Why isn't this working? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and I'm not getting 
anywhere. And, you know, I forget how it happened, but I stumbled upon actually the Atkins book a long, a long time ago. And it just made sense. The biochemical changes that happen in the body when you really, really cut back on carbohydrate intake and and how that allows you to tap into your stored body fat and burning fat, it just made sense. And of course, I was kind of scared to do it. I mean, it went against everything that I was taught to believe in everything that I thought I knew as fact with regard to nutrition and health. But, you know, I couldn't deny that what I was doing wasn't working. And so wasn't it worth trying a different approach? So I tried it. And now, however many years later, I would never look back. I I try to be open-minded and I try not to become one of those low-carb zealots, like these crazy sort of closed-minded low-carb and keto dieters that we see online now. But certainly for me and for millions of other people, it's, you know, going low-carb is a very, very effective thing to do. And um, after a couple of start, stops and starts in other professions, um, I realized that I could actually do nutrition for a living and I could teach other people about it. So I did get some formal education in nutrition. And then ever since, you know, going to school for it, of course, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, learning never stops. I mean, getting that degree <laughs> is kind of the starting point. And then you're just yeah. constantly learning new things and going to seminars and, and reading textbooks and just kind of expanding your knowledge. So as, as great as low carb is for fat loss, it, that's actually really one of the more mild things it does. I mean, this way of eating is so powerful for so many things that, that you know, helping people lose weight is almost like the least impressive thing it does. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's all about getting healthy, isn't it? So, Amy, let's start from right at the start of your journey. Um, you know, you, you've made this change from the healthy whole grains, from the running and the cardio uh, to this low-carb diet. Um, what did you notice straight away? Were there any negative effects of that and, and what positive effects did you notice? Um, I did have what we call the keto flu or the low-carb flu, which is... You know, from person to person, it varies how long it lasts, but it's sort of that transition period when your body is still adjusting to a very, very low carbohydrate intake and your body kind of doesn't know what to do and it, it sort of goes into crisis mode and you get really, really terrible headaches and you get dizzy and you get nauseated and um, you just don't have any energy. And I had that only for about two days. The worst of it passed in about two days and then over time... It all went away and I I felt great. And um, things didn't happen right away, but certainly the weight went down. Um, I just felt less bloated. I mean, I hate to use that term, but I guess, I guess that's what it was. You just feel big. You feel larger than you actually are in the mirror. You just feel heavy. And that went away pretty quickly. Um, you know, all that water weight goes quickly. But then the weight just went came off gradually and I've I've kept it off for the most part. I mean there's been some little bits here and there over the years where I've, you know, not been as strict with my diet and and things come back, but for the most part, um eating this way not only helped me lose the weight but it helped me keep it off. And um you know, like I said, I I was fortunate in that I didn't really have any major health problems, so I can't share this like crazy success story of, you know, my acne went away and my arthritis went away and everything cleared up. Um I was fairly young when I found this and didn't have any major issues, but I am absolutely convinced that had I not changed my diet when I did, I'd be in very poor health now because my I have a family history of type 2 diabetes, obesity, stroke, cancer. Um, we have everything. So I, I think I was probably on that trajectory if I hadn't found low carb when I did. 
And so when you found that, Amy, obviously you started to get some good results. You started to budge some of that weight. Um, and as we said, weight is only one small factor in this. But you did start to budge some of that weight that you hadn't been able to move. Was there part of you that kind of felt a little bit pissed off? Like, were you a little bit annoyed that um, you'd kind of been working so hard and putting so much effort in in the wrong direction of, of what you'd been told to do when the reality was you needed to do something different? Oh, definitely. Oh, my goodness. Um, I was so angry. And at who? I mean, who could I blame personally? Not not really anyone personally, but just as a whole, the sort of, I mean, I, I'm in the US. So at least in the US, some of our government institutions and the official medical bodies that have preached the gospel of the low fat diet and lots of grains and, you know, lots of, of cardiovascular exercise. Um, and they made us terrified of egg yolks and of red meat and of butter and of saturated fat. And you think you're doing so well and you think you're so self-righteous eating your wheat bread with your margarine and and, and baking everything instead of frying it. Um so I was I was very angry, but even more than that, I was just upset. You know, I it's to to any people listening out there, like you said, mostly women, but I know men are struggling with this more and more too. I mean, I spent so many years hating myself and feeling like a failure and and just with zero self-esteem, like self-esteem in the negative numbers because I just I blamed myself, you know, and and thinking like it was some kind of character flaw, like there's something wrong with me, instead of saying maybe something's wrong with the information I'm getting because I'm doing what they're saying and it's not working. So is it me or is it the is it the advice? Yeah, and, and as you said, it's a situation that so many people out there are in. And I guess in terms of coming out of the other side of that, because there are probably people listening to this who are kind of stuck in that situation right now, um, do you think the first thing people need to do is look at changing their diet or do you think they need to look at changing their mindset and the way they feel about themselves first? Oh, that's a good question. Um I don't know that it's possible to change one without the other. You know, certainly you have to have at least somewhat of a good self-perception to even want to change your diet. You have to believe that you're worth it. You have to believe that you deserve to feel well and that you deserve to eat well um, and that no matter how many years you've been unhappy with your appearance or your health or whatever it is that's that's not right, um, however long that's gone on, you deserve to feel better. You deserve to look the way you want to look. You deserve to be well. And so in that sense, you have to change the mindset first. But, you know, the funny thing is, I think it's really difficult for some people to have that kind of mindset because so often the foods that we eat affect our mood and they affect our mentality and our outlook. So it's it's very hard <laughs> to change one independently of the other. Maybe you do both at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It can be a little bit of a catch-22 sometimes, can't it? Just in terms of you, you do need to do both at once, but it's really hard. So do you have any tips for people in that situation of, of how to start, I guess, realizing that they're worth it? Um, I, I guess it, it depends. You know, everybody's wired differently. Everyone responds to a different type of motivation. I think something that helps sometimes is finding a low-carb or paleo website that has some success stories. And look at the before and after pictures, read the stories, because it's not always about the weight. So sometimes you have to read the story to hear how somebody's life has changed. Um, but I also just think maybe for people to get their hands on a good paleo book or a good low-carb book, give it a read. 
get a little basic information as to how and why these ways of eating are effective. And then you know right off the bat, hey, this isn't my fault. Wow, my body actually works very differently from how I thought it did. And then I think sometimes action and results beget motivation rather than motivation spurring you into action. So if you just do it, change your diet, when the results start happening, you become motivated because you get excited because it's working. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just have to act and then auto-correct, you know, figure out what worked and what didn't and just keep moving as as hard as that can be sometimes when it's, you know, kind of the last thing you feel like doing when you're in that mindset sometimes. So, any suggestions, Amy, of a book to get started on? What what did you start on? Oh, I actually started with um with the old-fashioned Atkins book. I think it was a 1992 version of Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution, but that's a great one. You know, if you're looking for more of a paleo approach, I really love Mark Sisson's original book, The Primal Blueprint. I haven't read the updated version, but the first version was great. Um, Diane Sanfilippo's Practical Paleo is great. Uh, for another good keto book, oh, there's so many out there. Um, I think... Mike, Michael Eads, Dr. Eads in the U.S. is coming out with an update of Protein Power, which is another good one. Nice. That That's an old one, but it's very good. Yeah, and I think for people in that situation, the one that I will often recommend to people is Gary Torbs and his Why, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. I think just in terms of giving people an understanding of the body, that can be a really good one to start with too. Oh, I, I love Gary Torbs and I think um that's that one just didn't spring to mind because I, I feel like I don't consider that one a diet book, but you're right. I mean, that's – and that that will give pe- – that sort of gives people kind of like a hug. And I, I'm, I'm not – I wonder if I can explain it right. That is a book that will help people see that it's not their fault. Exactly. That – that you've just been fed a bunch of nonsense for your whole life or however many years you've been paying attention to mainstream nutritional information, that book sort of sets the record straight. And it's, you will be angry. You will be angry at how many years you've lost following the wrong the wrong information. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I like that one to start with. I think it's a really good for, way, for, good spot for people to start if that's what they're looking for. So, um, Amy, obviously, you started on this low-carb diet. I'm, I'm fascinated. You know, the Atkins approach sometimes can be criticized for being too focused on maybe the macronutrients and not necessarily enough on the micronutrients and the food quality. Um, so, how did you go with that when you first started? What sort of stuff were you eating and how was it working for you? Yeah, when I um when I first started, I definitely didn't really know anything about food quality. I was all about getting the weight off. And the truth is, Getting the weight off really comes from finding the right balance of macronutrients for your own individual constitution. That's the the fat, protein, and carbs. That's what we mean when we say macronutrients. But um, over the years... I became much more concerned with food quality and with supporting, you know, local farmers who were raising their animals on pasture, raising them on grass. And I, I have to credit the paleo movement with that because, you know, low carb and paleo are not really the same thing. There's a lot of personalities and a lot of paradigms that overlap within those two approaches. But, you know, a paleo diet is not low carb by definition, but I I have to really credit Rob Wolf almost single-handedly as an individual. I started listening to his podcast years ago, and and he was talking about all that sustainable farming and and where our food comes from in addition to what is the food, you know, who's producing it, how is it being grown, how how are the animals being raised. And so over the years, I've shifted, you know, while while staying low-carb, I have shifted to – 
a focus on on better quality. But that being said, you know, to be completely honest, I for the people that I mean, I, I think I think where you're based, the food quality is a little bit different. I think a lot more of the meat is pasture raised. You don't have kind of the the big feedlot systems we have here in the U.S. But um, for people that are on a budget and who really, really can only afford what's on sale at the store, that's fine. I mean, eating whole unprocessed food, even if it's conventional, conventionally raised beef, you know, non-organic produce, that's still going to get you most of the way. And it's going to be much better than eating processed junk that's loaded with refined carbs. If you have the money and you have the wherewithal to, to take that next step to focus on the quality, then, then by all means, do that. But I don't want the focus on food quality to be an obstacle to anyone adopting these ways of eating that could be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for people to do what they can with what they have and and sort of focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Because it's easy to sort of get stuck on what you can't do or you can't afford and and sort of throw it all in the bin when actually, as you said, you can still get a lot of those benefits, which are really important. Exactly, exactly. Now, so you've spoken a bit about low carb, uh, and you know, obviously, kind of, it seems like everyone's got a different idea of what low carb is and how low carb is good to go, and and how much that differentiates for different people and different, you know, physical movement and all those sort of things. So, you know, how low carb is low carb for you, Amy? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, it varies. I mean, for me personally, I bounce in and out of ketosis, which you know, ketosis varies too. Like. That's super, super low carb, Um, generally at least under 50 grams a day. Some people have to be under 40 or 30 grams a day to actually be in the state of ketosis. But I write about this on my blog all the time because I think there's a lot of people who are aiming to be in ketosis all the time or who are afraid to not be in ketosis when they absolutely don't need to be. Um, There, you know, low carb could be... For some people, it could be as high as 100, 125, 150 even grams of carbohydrate. I mean, maybe 150 is pushing it, but compared to the average mixed high-ish carb diet, 100 grams is pretty low. Um, So, you know, let's say 75 grams, 80 or 100 grams of carbohydrate is definitely not ketogenic, but I would still consider it low carb. And there's a difference between being in ketosis and being what we call fat adapted, which is where you're not necessarily so low carb that you're producing extra ketones in your body all the time, but your carbohydrate is, your intake is low enough that your body is primarily having a fat-based metabolism. You're off the blood sugar roller coaster, your insulin levels are low, your body's being fueled primarily by fat, but you're eating a slightly more carbohydrate. And so I feel like that that just gives people more leeway, not necessarily to be eating pasta and bread and cookies, but a lot more leeway with either a, a larger quantity of vegetables and some fruit or maybe a, a wider variety and things like carrots and beets and maybe even small amounts of beans, like things that people might not eat on a ketogenic diet, but I would still consider them being fine for low carb. Yeah, it's so, so interesting, isn't it? I mean, I find I have this question when people say to me, oh, so, you know, do you eat low carb? And I sort of, I'm never quite sure how to answer it because, you know, I follow more of a paleo diet, obviously, but, I'm, you know, compared to probably yourself, I, I wouldn't consider myself low carb. <laughs> but compared to, you know, the average Australian diet, which is, you know, very similar to the average American diet, then I would probably be considered quite low carb. <laughs> and, and so it's like I'm low, but I'm not low, if that makes sense. And, and I think it's really important for people to sort of figure out 
you know, where they sit in that. You know, I, I do CrossFit, I play cricket, I like to run, you know, I'm pretty physical in the garden and with my kids and family. And so, you know, I find that I do okay having a little bit more than, you know, what some people feel that they need to restrict down to. And so, it is a matter of finding out what works for you, isn't it? It is. And we've, I feel like we've demonized carbohydrate a little too much, you know, even in, in the low carbon keto communities, of course, like that's the type of nutrition I specialize in. I, I realize why these diets are so beneficial, but at the same time, I do think some people in, in this community are kind of going too far off the, off the opposite end. And because if you look at all these long lived populations all over the globe, none of them were on a ketogenic diet. Not, you know, some of them may have just been or eating a relatively low carb diet by default, just because that's what was available in their environment. But nobody was aiming to to specifically limit carbohydrate intake for the purpose of health or, or for the purpose of, you know, good aging. Um, so and I so I just think these these long lived, robust, healthy people all over the world have been eating starches, they've been eating fruits. So um, these these foods are not, you know, damaging or harmful in and of themselves. I think it's it's an excess and it's it's in the context of other aspects of the diet and lifestyle that are all combining, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've read an article about this for my website looking at the different paleo diets, you know, and you realize that, you know, there are paleo populations with the Inuits who eat a very high fat diet, you know, and then there are others. There's a population in Papua New Guinea who um, who actually ate 80% essentially sweet potatoes, you know, so so there's, there's a huge variation there in what was their natural diet and their natural food and, and they were very fit and active and it's a very tough mountainous area and, and they seemingly thrived um, because you know it's, it's about getting back to that real whole food and and understanding that you know there's no one rule for everyone exactly exactly now I think once once somebody has a true metabolic problem you know if you are a type 2 diabetic if you are you know obese if you have a, a, an issue then you probably do need to limit even those otherwise wholesome natural sources of starch and and, and fructose and, and glucose but you know I don't think that those foods per se, are what caused these issues to happen in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those neurological disorders as well are seemingly getting just amazing results going on to those low-carb diets. So there's there's definitely a time and a place. And, you know, Amy, you're probably a bit like me and, and like most people listening out there that you're just eminently curious about this sort of stuff. And so, you know, what it tends to lead to is a lot of self-experimentation of figuring out, well, um, you know, what happens if I do have a little bit more carb? You know, what happens if I do let myself eat that stuff that I haven't been eating? Eating, and we sort of have a tendency to play around with it. Um, at the same time, we also have times when, um, you know, we do just fall off the wagon a bit and, and get into habits of eating stuff that, you know, we know we were doing better when we weren't eating as well. So, you know, you mentioned this before. You said, you know, over the journey, you've had some fluctuations. Can you tell us a little bit about those fluctuations? You know, were they just falling off the wagon or were they experimentation? And how did you uh, get back on track after, after that as well? Oh, it's been it's been a little bit of both. I mean, it's it's just depends on what the particular situation is that's happening. And there, <clears throat> to be honest, when I was in the very best physical shape of my life and my best sort of emotional health, because I, I do lean toward depression. I'm you know I, I get into that sometimes, but when I was feeling emotionally my best and physically my best, my strongest, physically you know fit and and happiest with my physique. I was low carb, but nowhere near ketogenic. Um, 
I was in the U.S. Armed Forces, so I was I was pretty active. I was working out every day, and um, but I was eating a lot more carbohydrate. Now, again, compared to a standard American diet, I was low carb, but I was definitely nowhere near ketogenic, and I I looked and felt my best. So, and and things change sometimes. Though so there's been other times where. I, I felt like I needed to be in ketosis in order to have a good, you know, a, a good positive mental outlook and to feel emotionally my best. Um, times when I've sort of fallen off, it's kind of, it sometimes sneaks up on you. We call it carb creep. Like you yeah. don't even realize it's happening until all of a sudden your pants don't fit anymore. <laughs> and um, it's, or should I say trousers? I don't know what you guys say in Australia. People are going to make yeah, fun of me now. <laughs> no, pants is totally okay. You're doing well. Oh, that's good. Okay. I think that's in the UK. They they, they don't say pants. But um, it's, yeah, sometimes you don't even realize because you, you just become complacent and you're, oh, I'll have a little piece of this. Oh, sure. I'll have a handful of that. And before you know it, these little exceptions that maybe in the past were few and far between, they sort of become the norm and you don't even realize it. And so then you just need a reset. You need to just say, okay, I need to act as if I'm brand new to this again and, and basically do a full induction, which induction is like what we call like the, the the two week period when you're the strictest, when, when you're brand new to a low carb diet, sometimes I think that's the best way to reset is to just, there, there's no questions about it. There's no like, well, maybe I should cut back on this. Maybe I should do that. You have a very defined set of rules because you're doing it as if you've never done it before. Yeah, great. Now, uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about the brain, just changing tact a little bit, Amy, because you've written a book called The Alzheimer's Antidote. Um, and I think understanding the brain and the importance of fat for the brain um, is super important. You know, it's a massive issue in our society today uh, that these chronic diseases of the brain are seemingly spiraling out of control. So, can you tell us a little bit about the Alzheimer's antidote? What was it that led you to write this book and uh, and what did you discover about Alzheimer's? Yeah, so you, you mentioned Gary Taubes before and in, in his bigger book, Good Calories, Bad Calories, that was the first place that I ever learned about a connection between glucose and insulin and Alzheimer's disease. And it was so interesting to me, but it wasn't until a few years after I read that book that I dove into that research. And I actually did it for my thesis when I was getting my my degree in nutrition. I had to pick a topic to, to do a review of. And I chose that because I said, you know, I'm going to look into the medical literature and see if there's even enough research on this topic that I could write a thesis on it. And lo and behold, when I started reading the medical journals, it's everywhere. It's everywhere that they call Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes, brain insulin resistance, or diabetes of the brain. And um, when after I wrote my thesis, you know, I couldn't keep this information to myself. It's it's it was so mind-blowing, and I, I truly felt that this was potentially life-changing and life-saving information that I, I turned it into a book because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine that there's loved ones and caregivers of people afflicted with this who think that there's nothing they can do, there's no, there's no medication available that's even mildly effective to slow this down or stop it, um, it's just sort of you, you resign yourself to your fate, you know, get your affairs in order and there's no help. And that's just not true. So I really wrote this book to empower those people, the, the affected, the, the affected people and their, their loved ones and caregivers. And, um, that just real quick, that type three diabetes thing, where it comes from is 
Alzheimer's disease is a metabolic problem. And by metabolic, I mean it has to do with the way the brain gets energy. And it's, um, they call it type 3 diabetes because what happens is neurons in affected areas of the brain lose the ability to get energy from glucose. So to, to state it really simply, I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but it's an energy crisis. It's a fuel shortage in the brain, and these neurons basically starve to death. And, and the result of that, the outcome of when these brain cells are struggling for fuel is memory loss and cognitive decline and personality changes and all the other symptoms that we see in this illness. Yeah, and, and this doesn't happen overnight, does it? I mean, Alzheimer's comes on over a very long period of time. So, you know, if people have gotten to the stage where they start to notice symptoms or suspect symptoms of Alzheimer's, is it too late or is there still stuff you can do about it? No, that's a really good point. So the, the decline in the brain's glucose metabolism is measurable in people as young as their 30s and 40s. And you said it exactly right. This isn't something that comes out of nowhere. Nobody wakes up all of a sudden with severe Alzheimer's disease. This builds over a very long period of time. The thing is, when somebody's in their 30s and 40s, the brain is compensating. You know, they're young enough and they're still healthy enough that the brain is able to compensate. It's only when you get to a point where this disease, like by the time you are showing signs and symptoms, the disease process has already been going on for years. So um, I, I don't think it's too late. I don't think it's ever too late. Um, if you are experiencing signs and symptoms, that is the exact time that you need to intervene. Um, ideally, you prevent this from happening in the first place. But if you feel like your cognition is declining, like you're just not as sharp as you used to be, that's the time to look into this and change your diet. And there, there are assessments you can take. You know, there's there's certain scans you can have done if you really want to get fancy and 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 have the numbers in front of you to show you that your brain is not using fuel efficiently um, or that even the brain volume is starting to shrink. That happens, that the brain volume actually starts to get smaller. But most people don't need that. Most people can just do the dietary and lifestyle intervention and see what happens. All right, so let's talk about some of those dietary and lifestyle interventions. For people out there, uh, probably especially people who've got loved ones who are in this situation, you know, they might want some advice to be able to pass on to them. Uh, obviously, you know, by the sound of it, cutting out the carbs is probably the first spot to start and altering that in your diet. But I'm guessing, you know, given how much of your brain is actually made up of fat and how important fat is for your brain, I'm guessing adding in some of those really high-quality fats is going to be a really important part of the process. Yeah, it's it's... <clears throat> it's totally multifactorial, the uh, the intervention that's needed. It's not just cutting the carbs and increasing the fat. Um, we do want lots of good omega-3 fats, especially DHA, you know, the, the kind of fats we find in fish. And they're, they're also found in grass-fed meats and in, in egg yolks, especially from, you know, hens that are raised on pasture. Those will also have DHA. So, yeah, the brain is like this huge sack of fat and cholesterol that sits inside our skull. And so you really want good quality fats. You need enough cholesterol for people that are on statin drugs or other cholesterol lowering medication. Um, you know, I'm not a physician. I'm not here to tell you to stop your medication, but you should be aware that the brain truly, truly requires a huge amount of cholesterol to, uh, for the physical structure of the brain. I mean, these neurons are just loaded with cholesterol and, and for good reason. I mean, there, there's a reason. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, egg yolks were considered brain food exactly because of that reason. You know, and then all of a sudden, eggs became like this big public health enemy food. Um, but it, so it's not just 
it's it's the fat, the cholesterol, getting the carbs low. But you know, in in the modern world, we are overfed and undernourished. You know, we're not hurting for calories, we're not hurting for energy, but we're hurting for nutrients. And there's a lot of very, very critical nutrients for for cognitive function and and for the physical structure and just the the biochemical working of the brain that so many people now are deficient in, especially older people, but also younger people. And it's, you know, off the top of my head, B12, zinc, choline, um, iodine, deficiencies in any of these things can, can exacerbate, you know, cognitive problems. Oh, that's so good, Amy. It's such an important topic, as I said. It's it's just ever-increasing in our society and seemingly more and more people suffering in this regard. So I'm sure there'll be lots of people who want to find out more information about this. Um, so obviously, they can head to your website, which is chewitnutrition.com. So that's T-U-I-T, nutrition.com. Is it chewit or is it to it? Uh, to it. To it. All right, there you go. Mm-hmm. I used to have this thing on my wall. It's totally off topic. I used to have this thing on my wall when I was a kid, and it was called a round to it. And it had a whole saying about um, it was just all about getting to it, essentially. And and that that is exactly where my name comes from. There you go. <laughs> I had one of those when I was a little kid. I think yes. I, I even made them at one stage and used to sell them in little uh, shops locally. So there you go. Oh, but I'm so glad to know, like so few people get it, but that's yeah. exactly where it comes from. There you go. That's so funny. All right. <laughs> so people can go to toitnutrition.com. Uh, they can also find your book um, on Amazon, I believe, which is The Alzheimer's Antidote. That is on Amazon. Is that correct, Amy? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm. It must be available in Australia. I'm not sure, but yeah. I know it's available on the US Amazon. Yeah, perfect. But they can definitely go to your website, toitnutrition.com, and find out all the details. Um, so thank you so much for coming on board. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love talking to doctors who get this stuff. It's so great to know that you guys are out there. Yeah, yeah, we exist. We exist. It's it's important stuff, and it's <laughs> you know it becoming as I said more and more important as we go forward. So thanks for coming on board. So for everyone else. Until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.